You are holy and righteous. And it's our privilege even this morning to sing to You. I'm sure that when the saints began to sing, the angels had to be quiet. Because we're singing a song that the angels do not know the first note to. It's a song of being redeemed. We thank You that You love us. We thank You that You've sent Your Son to die for us. And we're so thankful that by grace through faith, we're promised as we trust in Christ and Christ alone that our home is yet to be realized. I, I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like, God. I think maybe we'll spend the first million years just with our faces to the ground thanking You for what You've done. But yet, Lord, we praise You for allowing us here this morning to, to gather and fellowship to gather to hear from Your Word. Not that this instrument is of any, of, of, of any value, Lord. It's, it's only Your Word that will speak. And so I pray, O oh God, that You will use Your Word this morning to reach our hearts, to teach us, to strengthen us, to help us in our maturing process as we grow in Christ May the image that we reflect become more and more of You and less of us. And so, Lord, the things that we lack, we pray that You will provide. The things that we don't quite understand, I pray, O oh Lord God, that You would make clear. And the things, O oh Lord God, that we need in order to impress individuals of how great You are. I pray, O oh Lord, that You would give. And we'll praise You and thank You in Your name. Amen. We're in James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. We're plugging along. Not going too quickly, but yet at the same time, not causing any of you to faint and fall out the window and die. We trust that we'll move swiftly. I did some research this week, and I went all the, back, all the way back to 1986. In 1986, there was a catastrophe that literally shook the world. The tragedy did not happen in the United States. It took place in the Ukraine. In a town that's called Chernobyl. In 1986, the engineers of Chernobyl, on the fourth reactor, they began to run a test. Apparently you have to do that in those facilities. They, they ran a test in order to make sure that the water system was adequate for the cooling of the reactor. And the only way that they could really test it well is they began to lift out the cooling rods so that the reactor itself would heat to enormous 
And it was during that time, too, during the heat, that it creates steam, which then powers turbines, which then creates electricity. No, I'm not trying to give you a lesson this morning on thermodynamics. I'm not doing that at all. But, but what is interesting is that as the cooling rods were taken out, and as the water began to, to come in, one of the pumps malfunctioned. And the engineers, the scientists there knew that they were in dire trouble. And so they knew that what they needed to do is lower back the cooling rods back down in to the cells. But what they didn't count on is that they got stuck and they stayed and there was nothing they could do. In an unprescribed and undesirable situation, the fourth reactor of Chernobyl blew up. And when it blew up, it spewed into the atmosphere that traveled north and west of the reactor. It spewed into the atmosphere radioactive material. It took them five days to put the fire out. And every day as the fire was burning, more radiation was going into the air to the fact that even some of the firefighters who were not properly protected died instantly from the radiation. They brought helicopters and planes filled with sand and began to dump it on this fire in order to put it out. Well, eventually it did go out. And then they began to pour in concrete to seal it up. And you're all thinking, what does that have to do with James chapter 2? What caused Chernobyl, the fourth reactor of Chernobyl, to explode was a problem. And the problem affected hundreds of thousands of people. In the first verse of chapter 2, there's a problem. And it reads something like this for you. It says, My brethren... Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Not with partiality. In another translation, it says, My brethren, don't capture the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and use it against respective people. Don't do that. And we do know that in our previous study, and even here in first verse of chapter 2, that, that James is writing to people who should know better. Can I get an amen? He's writing to his brethren. These are not people on the street. These are individuals 
that were in, if you will, as chapter 1, verse 1, though they're scattered, but yet they were meeting. They were getting together. Just like this morning. They gathered together. And they had a problem. Because they used their faith in a very negative way. And it was affecting people. Now, let's be realistic with ourselves, though. We are prejudiced, aren't we? There's certain cereal I don't like. So it does not get in my house. I'm very prejudiced. I have 11 grandchildren, and when they come, we don't get sugar cereal in the house. That's not going to happen. I'm not having, two of them are old enough, but I am not having nine kids jacked up on sugar running in my house. That's not going to happen. I'm prejudiced. I'll stand in the cereal line. And I'm saying, I don't want you. I don't want you. I'm taking this. And we get shredded wheat. Amen. I'm prejudiced as to where I go. I've made decisions that I will not go there. We're prejudiced of what kind of clothes we wear. We're prejudiced at what kind of food we like. Don't be talking to me about sitting down with liver and onions. That ain't going to go on my table. And all of you that got your super recipes about liver and onions, you keep it to yourself. I've had enough of it. I don't need it. I don't want it. Do you know what livers do? And you eating that? you got to be out of your mind. So we, we do have prejudices, but that's not what James is talking about here. You see, the ultimate goal, the theme of the book of James, is growing to maturity. In chapter 1, it talks about trials that produce in us Patience, and let patience have its perfect work that you may be mature, lacking in nothing. James is preaching this sermon with the understanding that church is time to grow up. It's time to mature in your faith. Now remember, this is the church. Go back to Acts chapter 2, and you begin to read there, that all of a sudden, Peter's preaching, and there's this mass exodus to the altar to get saved. And after they get saved, what do they do? They start selling stuff. They start giving it to the poor. They start dealing out things that they knew God wanted them to do. But for somehow and some reason... And that began to slow down. Now they've become choosy. Sort of like Jif. Choosy mothers choose Jif. You're prejudiced against Skippy. I know you are. You see, 
They were looking at the outside, the physical. And aren't you glad that God don't do that? You might remember when when God gave clear instructions to Samuel the prophet. I want you to go and anoint the next king of Israel. It's recorded for you in 1 Samuel chapter 22. It is there that Samuel comes to the household of Jesse. And Jesse lines up all the boys from the oldest all the way down to not quite the youngest because the youngest was still out in the field tending sheep. Samuel comes in and he sees the big boy. And he said, certainly this is the one who will be the king. And God told him, no, don't anoint him. Because you're looking at the exterior. But I, God, I look at the interior. I look at the heart. Anoint one more that's not here. Called in David from the field, comes in. He's the runt. He has not yet killed any lions. That, That comes later in his life. But he's out doing what no one else wanted to do. He's out serving everyone else is lined up to be served. And that's the king that God wanted. A king whose heart was intent on serving. That's why God looks at the heart. These, new belie- these believers here in James... The command is, don't, don't do that. Don't show partiality. Don't do that. In fact, let me give you three, three words that can describe verses 1 down to verse 13. Three words that are this. First of all, we get the command. Verse 1. In fact, it's 1 through 4. We see the command. Uh, secondly, we, we see the, uh, uh, the context and that's verses two or verses five to nine, and then the condemnation, which is ten to thirteen. I did not get the next words from Warren Wiersbe. He wrote all the B books, you know, be this, be that, be that. But to help you understand a little bit what we're talking about, the first one is the command is this is is, is to be courteous. The second one, the contrast is be compassionate. And the third one, the condemnation, be consistent. Be consistent. Courteous, compassionate, consistent. James gives us the illustration of what he's getting at. He says two guys come into church. And the problem is, is they had a nearsighted usher. Because the rich guy comes in and it says he's got rings on his fingers. And in the Greek, that literally means he's covered in gold rings. Every finger had them. He had ten of them. Now back then, they didn't have banks. You couldn't go up and throw your deposit in the drive through window and say, see you next week. Their wealth was worn. 
And the more rings you had, the more wealthy you are. Not only did they have rings, but he had great looking clothes. I was in Philadelphia one day with my daughter on a field trip with her fourth, fourth, fourth grade class. They were going down to see the Liberty Bell. Great, great trip. But the problem is we went past a clothing store. And that was when I was a little bit smaller than I am now. But there was this bright yellow suit. Mm, man. I figure, sweet that would be. Keep everybody's attention. Almost like my ties. This one, by the way, is done by two 12-year-olds in Africa. Todd and Adam designed this tie. Save the children. I got a few more. Anyway, that suit was sweet. Mm. Double, best, double vested. Had such big bell bottoms that the back of the pant leg had to catch up with you the day later. Oh, my word, I figure. I could, as bad as I looked, I could look good in that. Well, this is the guy that came in to this assembly. He had it all going on outwardly. And the usher ushered him in to the choice seats. All of you in the back, you think you got the choice seats? No, 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 they're down here in the front row. Right here. And as the usher's going back, he's saying, man, can't wait to take the offering. Before he can get back there, another guy comes in. He don't look too good. He's poor. He's got shabby clothes. He's not wearing a bright yellow suit. But he's coming to worship God. You see, two guys came into church that day. And each one of them had a different motive. The first guy came in to be noticed. The second guy came in to worship. And they told him, you don't get the choice seat. You can either sit here at the foot of my stool, which is a sign of disrespect. Or you can just plop yourself down, bud. You're not worth a plug nickel. Sit on the floor back there in the corner and be quiet. They looked on the outside. And James says, you're using your faith for the wrong thing. Aren't you glad that at least the first century church had problems? They had to work through things. Church isn't a perfect place. In fact, sometimes individuals have a criteria of the church that they would like to be at. And the best thing I can tell them is this. You're looking for a perfect church. And when you find it, don't join it. You'll spoil it.
There are no perfect churches. Because they're full of, and I say this with all respect to all of you, they're full of imperfect people. We are a work in progress. We haven't yet quite got to be perfect. That's coming later at the throne of our great God and King. Amen? Then it'd be okay there. I don't know what kind of robes we'll have in glory. But I still got my eye on that yellow suit in Philadelphia. James says, don't do that. Because, here's the part that's bad. When you judge that way, you're setting yourself up as God. And you ought not to do that. We're going to have to pick this up next week because we're, I'm like a mummy. I've been wrapped for time. And that's okay. But I want to go back and just focus on chapter one, uh, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1 again. James is saying, don't use your faith in an improper way to show partiality. And you can use the same illustrations for such things as this. Don't use your faith as an improper view to gossip. Can you imagine the talk that went on when Buddy Rich and Peter Poor showed up? There was talking going on. Let me hit you with another one. Don't use your faith as an improper way to show unforgiveness. Don't use your faith in an improper way to be disgruntled against God. Don't use your faith as an improper way to establish your reasons for being more like the world instead of transforming the world. James is saying, when you do that, you set yourself up as God. And that's not a good thing. We didn't get to the contrast. And we didn't get to the closing remarks of the condemnation. We'll hit them next week. But the maturing process of our faith is not to use our faith improperly, but to use it to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is the King of glory. We are to be about honoring Him and Him alone. We are to be about 
honoring people. Not on the outside exterior, but what's in their hearts. And James says, if you really want to mature, don't judge improperly. Because God don't like it. And it harms just as many people as radioactivity material that floats in the air. But that can only harm you physically. The other can kill you spiritually. Thank you, James, for your message today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We've come to the end of our time this morning, but your spirit is not dictated by time. You use your word to bring about change in our life. For our faith is not about us. It's only about the King of glory. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.